All right, in the past few weeks, we have been in the book of Luke, and we are actually in week 31 in the book of Luke. I want to let you know, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in Massachusetts, and he said, oh, we're preaching, or we're going through the book of Luke too. And I said, really? And he said, yep, we've been in it for one year. One year. Not just 31 weeks, one year. I said, where are you at? He said, Luke 10. I said, oh, we're on a fast track. We're in Luke 16. We're, or 17 today. In 31 weeks, we're in Luke 17. In, in more than a year, they're in Luke 10. So they must be doing even more depth. But praise God that there's so much richness, so much to receive from the word of God. And through these weeks, we have been looking at how these scriptures in the book of Luke, and then we'll be going into the book of Acts. We've already started to sort of jump ahead a little bit because we were talking about how the Lord came, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We looked at that from Acts chapter 2. But in these books, in Luke and in Acts, we are looking to reignite our passion for Christ and our passion for his body, the church. And so we've looked at a number of different things, right? All the different ways in which the people and the different truths, and we've looked at all the kingdom principles and what it means to be, you know, understanding parables and what it means to pray and what about hypocrisy that where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy? What about managing our possessions and being good stewards? And how, to, how can we be ready for his coming? What is the kingdom of growth, the kingdom growth look like? And when we are in him, how can we be found in him? You know, instead of being lost in terms of all that the world would, would, would do, how can we be found in him? And then... We talked last week, Tom, in fact, shared with us of the story of, rich man, of the rich man and Lazarus. That brings us this week to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And I've called this message stumbling, and we'll see why. But Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Follow along in your Bibles. A few verses will come up on the screen, but I would like you to just follow along as you're reading in your scripture. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he, the master, rather say to the servant, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, 
After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Father, as we get into this word, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that, Lord, your word would speak to us. Your word speaks life to us. It speaks wisdom to us. It gives us instruction for our daily lives. And I pray that that would be the case today, that every one of us, Lord, would receive from you, would hear from you, would know what you are, Lord, communicating to us. And through that, through it, Lord, we would be enriched in our spiritual lives and, Lord, equipped in our day-to-day living and doing all of this to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in this passage, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, let me just start with the last part of the passage, verses 7 through 10 itself, before we come back to verses 1 through 9. Jesus describes the behavior of a master and a servant to make what seems like a very obvious point. Essentially, he says, servants are expected to serve their master. Right? That's what he said. You know, when the master comes, you don't expect that he will say, oh, go ahead, you eat, do what you want. But rather, the master would say to the servant, wait on me, get things done, and then you can go take care of what you need. Servants are expected to serve their master. The moment we see a statement like this, we start thinking about all the reasons why we shouldn't. Because all that comes to mind is a bad master. And you think of the fact that if I have to serve somebody, what if they don't do the right thing? What if they tell me to do something that I don't like? What if they don't deserve, they're not worthy of my service? But you see, when Jesus gives these kinds of statements, and like I've said when we talked about parables and other things, you know, when we look at the scriptures, Jesus says many things that where we have to understand what is the underlying principle. So even in this example where he talks about the master saying to the servant, wait on me and take care of what I need and then you, know, then you can go and do your things. Keep in mind that Jesus himself, when he came, he said, or the, the word says of him, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. God himself initiates or sets the standard for what this service looks like where he's not the master that is demanding something from from us that we can't do. He's not unfair and unjust. He's not the one saying, oh, you know what? You have to do this no matter what. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you're weak. No, 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 no. This is a loving heavenly father who cares about his children, who knows what our limits are, who knows what our needs are, who is eager to provide for us, who is eager to watch over us and to show us his compassion and his grace, so that when he says, servants serve your masters, he's not talking about all the negative things that we could imagine about that service that takes place in the world. He's describing service that looks very different. He's describing service that's according to the principles of the word of God. He's describing service that comes out of 
humility and love and care and actually a relationship. Unlike what we would see in the world where we wouldn't talk about a relationship between the master and the servant, between the Lord. But here, Jesus is not describing that kind of thing. He's saying this master, this Lord is worthy of your service. This Lord is deserving of your service. So you don't have to be afraid to say, I want to serve. You don't have to be concerned when you hear the word that he's calling you to serve. You can rest assured that God will do only what is good for you. So that leads us to this point. Servants don't serve their master when they don't know who they are or what is expected of them. If you don't know who you are as a servant of the Lord, you will not serve the Lord. If you don't know what's expected of you as a servant of the Lord, you will not serve the Lord. You will do your own thing. You will serve your own interests. You will serve somebody else's interests. You will serve your own desires. You will serve your own lusts. You will serve your temptations. You will serve everything else other than the Lord because you don't know that you are a child of God. You don't know that he bought you and redeemed you and that he has called you his own. You don't know that he's establishing this relationship with you in such an intimate way that when he says, son, daughter, do this, he is doing it for your good. When we forget that, when we lose our identity, when we don't pay attention to what the word really is speaking to us about, we will not serve. We will not serve willingly. We will not serve wholeheartedly. We will not serve with all that is in us. We will hold back. We will reserve something because we'll say, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I need to do this. Right from the Garden of Eden, humanity, mankind said, ah, yeah, maybe, but I think I'll do this. And you know where that leads. So servants don't serve because of a lack of understanding, a thorough understanding of identity, of stewardship, what does it mean to be a steward of God? A manager of his resources, not an owner of the things that are in my hand. Not holding on to it to say, my money, my car, my house, my, my clothes, my wife, my this. No, but to say, Lord, you have given these things into my hand. You have asked me to be a steward. I will serve you faithfully. I will do what you are asking me to do. I will obey your Holy Spirit. So, servants need to understand who they are and what is expected of them. That is a lifelong journey for us. We're not, we're not servants for a season, and then we become the boss. We stay servants of the Lord for all our lives. So we, lifelong, we are endeavoring to know, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I improve in my service? How can I become excellent at doing this? How can I polish that brass just a little bit better? I want to know, Lord. I want to serve you. So we are in that kind of relationship. But when we take the other side, or when we are in the opposite direction, where we are not serving the Lord, one of the reasons, one of the ways that we react to this kind of a command or this kind of directive is because we feel or 
we, 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 we perceive some sort of mistreatment, right? We, and we hesitate to go after God because we've been mistreated in some way with somebody that had authority over us. So either we think, or, and, and by the way, there could have been a genuine mistreatment. So you have this feeling, this offense, this reaction based on a genuine mistreatment or on a perceived mistreatment. But we think in these ways. And so when we are thinking like that, we can be tempted to sin in anger, in response that is angry. We can be incited in, our, in ourselves to disobey, to distrust, to have our egos hurt. How dare this person speak like this to me? Don't they know who I am? Don't they see what I've done? They're asking me to do this, or they want me to do this task, and our egos get bruised. Why? Because we don't know who we are. We don't know how we're serving. We don't know what we're doing. Now, uh, by the way, the, the set of people that will hurt you the most in these regards are the ones that are closest to you, right? So right in your own home, spouses, parents and children, loved ones of all kinds, there's the easiest place to get hurt and offended. Because you say, who are you to say this to me? I mean, the stranger who says something to you on the road, you can ignore. The boss that does something to you in the workplace, you say, ah, at least I need the paycheck. But your spouse, oh, you get very offended. You say, who are you to say this to me? And we get this offense that causes us to stumble. So keeping that in mind, let's return to the first part of this portion. Luke 17, chapter, one, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. The phrase, that phrase, could actually be rendered, it is inevitable that offenses should come. In fact, some of your translations use that word. Not just obstacles or, you know, stumbling blocks or something. It says offenses. Because the Greek word that's used there is the Greek word scandalon, which actually means a bait or the bait in a trap. It is a snare. It is a stumbling block. It is an offense. Why is this relevant for us? Listen to what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 says. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition or who are offending, or who are offensive. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare, the entrapment of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. When we don't recognize that offenses are a bait of Satan, 
are a way for us to fall into a trap of Satan, we will give way to the offense. We will rehearse the offense. We will speak of the offense. We will say in our mind, it shouldn't have happened this way. But what Satan has done, he's just put the bait and ensnared you. Now you live in bitterness, in unforgiveness, in anger, in anxiety. All sorts of things are starting to come up because you've taken offense. Because something has made you stumble. Because there was a stumbling block that you just, you, you, you couldn't get around, you couldn't avoid, you, you had to trip over it. And because you said, I, <clears throat> your ego, your pride, said, oh, I can't say no to this. How could I keep quiet? Right? Haven't you heard that? Coming out of your own mouth? How could I keep quiet? After what they said, how could I keep quiet? What's the point that Jesus is making? Servants of the Lord who don't serve the Lord, who are not mindful of who they are and what the expectations of the Lord are, can be easily offended and easily offend others. If we're not paying attention to what the Lord wants us to do, we will easily take offense. And if we're not paying attention to what the Lord is guiding and directing our steps in, we will easily offend others. We will put stumbling blocks in other people's paths. We can be offended by someone or we can offend someone. We can stumble over all of them whenever there is all these mistreatments or perceptions of mistreatments. But in either case, in all those situations, we're not looking to the Lord. We're not looking to the Lord to see how he views that person and that situation. We're not looking with eyes of gentleness. That's what we read. We're not looking with eyes of patience, no matter what this person's saying or doing. We're not looking with eyes of humility. We're looking with incorrect expectations, impatience, pride. And that causes us to stumble. Satan is all too happy to bait us with these traps. He doesn't have to bring some big temptation. He doesn't have to make some big thing, you know, that we swindled millions of dollars, that we committed adultery, that we did this. It doesn't have to be all that. It just has to make us take offense. A small little stumbling block. Down you go. He's happy. He's happy to bait us with these things. And more importantly, to get us to cause others to stumble. Have you heard people say, well, you know, I, 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 I had to say something, but it's in my nature to do that. If I don't bring the correction, nobody else will. All right? When we say things like that, many times, we're not really being led by the Lord. We're le being led by our flesh. And that causes somebody else to stumble. We give offense. And from what Jesus said, how he spoke of it, he spoke in very serious terms of giving offense to somebody else, of causing somebody else to stumble. He says it would have been better for you if a millstone were around your neck and you were drowned in the sea. Woo! I mean, that's like a, that's a very powerful statement. Instead of, if you have offended one of these little ones, 
one of my children, one of these ones who trustingly just listened to you or did something or tried to follow your authority, whatever it may be, and you caused them to stumble? Oh, Jesus speaks about it in very serious terms. So what do we do? There are different ways in which we can re respond to an offense. In the biblical story of Joseph, we read of how his brothers were so offended by the dreams that he had that he would one day have authority over them that they conspired to kill him and ultimately sold him into slavery in Egypt. And they said, okay, his dreams are dashed, he's done, he's, there's no way that he's going to have authority over us. They were offended by this. They were, they were like, who are you to say this to us? That we, your brothers, will come and bow down to you? They were, they were mad. But it's a remarkable story of what happened to Joseph in Egypt, how he rose to power, how he did, in fact, exercise authority over his family. But you know, the remarkable climax of Joseph's story is that he forgave his brothers for what they had said and what they had done to him. In fact, we read in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the same message that Jesus declares in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. If your brother or sister sins against you, if they offend you, if they put a stumbling block, rebuke them, speak to them, deal with wisdom, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, that's not a number, by the way, you're not counting. This is, Peter asked this question. How many times, Lord? Seven? Let me keep track of that. Right? Uh, he, there's not a number to keep track of. Jesus is saying, even if they just keep coming back to you all the time and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And they truly repent. Forgive them. An hour later, they do the same thing. They come back to you and they, oh, I, 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 I really am sorry this time. I, I, you know, I just, I, 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 I forgot, I, you know, I did it, I'm so sorry. Forgive them. And maybe it's not the same day, but maybe it's the next day. They come and do the same thing. And maybe they learn a little better, and maybe it's a week later now. And maybe they improve, and maybe it's a month later. But you're saying, how many times? How many times should I forgive? Jesus is saying, forgive as long as they say that they have repented, that they're coming to you. There will be fruit of that repentance. There will be a evidence of it. There's all sorts of things that you can talk about. But this response for us this morning is this, that we respond to the word of God by forgiving and asking for forgiveness. The topic of forgiveness is very vast, multifaceted. But the point here that I want to make and the point here that Jesus is making, because he's making, he says these things about the stumbling blocks and then just immediately says this about forgiveness, right? The point is that there is a need for us to take a deliberate action. It is only in the way of forgiveness 
that we can keep from stumbling. If we're on any other path, we will keep stumbling. But if we're on the path of forgiveness, if that is the way we're walking in, we will keep from stumbling. It is only when we are willing to forgive that we can fulfill Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, which says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance or an offense or a stumbling block. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And you know, when you read this and you hear Jesus say this, and he's speaking to the disciples, the apostles, they realized right away, I can't do this. No way. They realized how hard it is to avoid a stumble. They realized that how hard it is to keep forgiving someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. They realize that to love someone who repeatedly hurts you is not possible in the natural. And that it's very easy for us to hurt somebody else, to deny, to blame, to attack. And so they say to the Lord in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, increase our faith. Lord, we know that we can't do this with the faith that we have. We can't do this based on our goodness. Increase our faith. They knew they needed supernatural assistance to be able to forgive. We know that we need supernatural assistance, that we need supernatural faith to even believe that this kind of forgiveness and grace is possible. We know that we need this supernatural grace, the supernatural faith from God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to obey the Lord as obedient servants. We apply this word of the Lord by exercising this faith. So every week when we talk about these things, we learn, we respond, and we want to apply. And this morning I want to encourage you that you would apply what you're hearing by exercising faith to resolve a specific offense. What is it that the Lord will bring to mind? Who is it that the Lord will bring to mind? What is the situation that you need to set right? What stumbling block have you tripped over or you have caused somebody else to trip over? What is it that you need to exercise faith in and say, Lord, this needs to be reconciled. This needs to be set right. This needs to be addressed. Help me. I encourage you that this morning you would say, Lord, I want to apply your word. I want to take this word to heart. And if it is that the devil is just waiting for me to somehow give in, to take this step and stumble and fall, then Lord, I pray that you would help me to take steps that are firm in a way that is sure in a path that is laid before me. It's not easy, but I can take with certainty because that is your way. It is the way of forgiveness. So, 
This morning I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want you to go back and look at these things and to pray about this. But ask the Lord what you can do even this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken so powerfully in your word to us. And we pray, Father, that we as servants of the Lord would pay attention to what it means to not be a stumbling block to somebody else, to not cause somebody else to stumble. And Lord, quite importantly, that we would not be stumbling ourselves because we have taken offense, because we have lived in unforgiveness, because, Lord, we have been bitter or hard, but rather, Lord, that we would look to you and see your hand in our lives. Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst and your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Let this word now be applied. Let it take root. Let it bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Every Sunday, we do two things. At the end of the service, we remember. We remember that we die to self and are raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. New Life Fellowship Church, we use that name even, or we, we are reminded by the name even, that we are to be living for Christ himself. Raised up to new life in Christ Jesus every single day. Dying to self and coming to him. And so we do that knowing that the Lord would watch over us and guide us to accomplish that. And then every week, we want to speak a word of blessing. We want to receive the blessing of God for the promises of God, for the power of God, for the presence of God. And so this morning, let's stand together. And I want to speak this word of blessing over you as we, as we end the service. From Psalm 121, verse 3, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. I want to speak this word of blessing that says, Because the Lord will not allow your foot to slip, because he who keeps you will not slumber, may you make every effort to confirm your calling and election. May you do all things as obedient servants of the Lord so that you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless. Go in peace.